Now, we were just in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which really set a tone for some of the passages that follow. When, when you come to the 12th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, you find the apostle speaking about spiritual gifts and uh, the, the way that uh, spiritual gifts have been given to all of those who know Christ as Savior to be used for a purpose, a purpose in, well, we're going to talk about that purpose in just a moment. You get to the 13th chapter, and you have a chapter that describes the way in which those spiritual gifts are to be used. It's commonly known as the great love chapter because it expresses very clearly the characteristics that demonstrate love. And love is certainly not the way it is often defined today. The way love is defined biblically is in a process in which a person makes a decision to direct the good qualities of love toward another individual. That's why God, the Bible tells us, while we were yet sinners, God proved his love for us by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. That was a great demonstration of his love. The greatest benefit that we could ever receive was that sacrifice of Christ for our sins. Well, in this 13th chapter, he tells us about those qualities of love. Then we come to the 14th chapter, and he goes back again to speak about two of the spiritual gifts very specifically. Our belief is that one of these gifts has ceased and the other has changed to a degree. And certainly there are those who would disagree with that, but we believe that there were some spiritual gifts that were of a miraculous nature that were designed for the purpose of bringing revelation because the scriptures had not been completed by the time this letter was being written. The scriptures were just in the process of being written. So the revelation of who God is and what he desired to do would often come through miraculous capabilities, miraculous gifts. It would come through a person being able to speak a language that they had never studied. I wish I could do that. Only it would make sermons three or four times longer because I would say in English and then I would say it in Creole and then I would say it in Spanish and then I would say it in Portuguese, and then I would say it in French. Have I left any of you out? German. I know a couple words in German. I, I know to say how I'm very hungry, that usually gets you everything you need. Ich habe großen Hunger. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could do that, but I can't. That's particular spiritual gift has ceased in this day because of two things. One, the scriptures have been completed. The revelation that God has given is now enfolded entirely within the, the bonds of, of scripture. The other reason is because Israel had lost its national identity. And as Paul tells us in this 14th chapter, tongues were given specifically as a sign to unbelievers and in the context specifically to unbelieving Jews. When they lost their national identity, I believe that that particular gift came to a, a conclusion. As you read through this, so much of the chapter is written to expound upon the gift of speaking in tongues and the gift of prophecy that I think there are times we forget what was really being directed to the church. And over the past few weeks and now it's extending into a significant period of time, we've tried to look at this 14th chapter and say, 
What was it that Paul was addressing to us? There was this direct message to the Corinthians. None of them walked into a, a service with a Bible in hand because there, there, there were no Bibles. So they came and people would bring revelation from God through the use of tongues, through the use of prophecy. And prophecy changed in this regard. I believe that prophecy is still being used today, but not in a foretelling capacity. We don't have the capability to say prophetically what is going to happen except that which God has already said. So prophecy now becomes the forthtelling, telling what God has already revealed in the pages of his scripture. So in that regard, we still have prophecy, just so we understand the, this context. Having said that, as you go through this 14th chapter, what you find is the Apostle Paul not hidden, but, but attached very carefully to the direct statements that he is making about the use of tongues and the use of, of prophecy are some gems of truth that he has directed to us. And when you look through this, you begin to understand that he's telling us, here's what I want you as a church throughout the ages to understand, that you are to focus on the things that edify specifically the things that edify other believers. That's the purpose for which the spiritual gifts have been given, so that you use your gift to build other people up. And we talked about some of the things that do, don't do that. Sin, behavioral uh, sin in, in our, our life patterns, that doesn't edify. Uh, the, the reality of, of um, complaining doesn't edify. Uh, not being involved in any of the Lord's work doesn't edify. Empty activity doesn't edify. But the things that edify build people up. Warren Wearsby said this, When we explain and apply the word of God to individual lives, we have a ministry of edification. And that can come through a variety of different ways. It can come through preaching. It can come through teaching. It can come through music. It can come through whatever ministry the Lord has called you to perform for His honor and glory. You can build other people up. And so His design for us is that we edify. Then we found in the next part of this, we found that He wrote this to the church to encourage the strengthening of the church itself. And the reason for which the church is to be strengthened is because of the, the, the superior position that the church has to every other institution that exists. The church becomes the foundation upon which every other ministry functions. And if the church is weakened, all other ministries are weakened. If the church is strengthened, all other ministries that are involved with the church's ministry are strengthened. So there has to be a primary concern for the health, the strength, the well-being of the church. And we talked about that at length. Uh, the church is the testimony and cause of Christ where it rises and falls with the strength and the weakness of the church. It's where many of the, the lost are reached and through its extended ministries the lost are reached. It's where babes in Christ are nurtured and they're strengthened and they begin to develop and to build. It's where success in discipleship is experienced, where people are, are prepared to serve the Lord. It's where believers are strengthened through the use of spiritual gifts. It's where the truth is defended. It's where missionaries are sent 
It's where healing of the spiritually wounded takes place. It's where the purity of the Christian community occurs. And you look at the church and you realize that God has given unparalleled importance to this institution. And that's where we stopped the last time. And so we have to go on and see a few more things that are very, very important in this particular message. What Paul wants us to understand is that the church has to be strengthened because of the mission that the Lord has given it to fulfill. And what is that mission? Well, it has many different aspects to it. But one of the primary missions of the church is to see that truth is communicated. We, we live in a world where there's an awful lot of deception. There's a lot going on today that is not a reflection of the truth. But when you come to a place such as this, to a place where many other congregations are gathering, where the Word of God is honored as His Word, and it is recognized as His truth, and it is His inspired revelation to us, there you should hear truth, not only for your daily life, but also that which allows you to come into a right relationship with your Creator for all eternity. And so, the mission of the church is to communicate truth. And you know who that puts a lot of pressure on? Me. And Steve. And Luke. And Reg. And Ken. And anyone that's involved in teaching, in communicating the Word of God, it puts pressure on us. Because we are to proclaim truth. If Listen, if I was up here lying to you week after week, would you still come? Oh, would some of you still come? <laughs> some of you said yes. I heard one of the kids say that. Why? And the answer would be because your parents would make you. But I know your parents, okay? And they would not come if they knew I was up here not telling the truth. Now, I will say this. My words are not infallible. God's word is. So long as I stay in alignment with God's word, we're good. So long as our teachers stay in alignment with God's word, we're good. But you know there's another side to that? For the mission of the church to be accomplished, you need to come prepared to hear what God has to say. And sometimes that's that's kind of minimized. You, you'll hear people talk about such and such a preacher. Oh, he's really good. I really like him. Well, that, that's good. That's nice. Then they'll say, oh, that preacher. Oh, no, he, he's no good. He is really boring. I don't like listening to him. There's no life in the message he brings. But well, the question is, is it truth? Is it truth? And then let me ask you this question. The seed of God's word, if it's falling to your heart, how's the soil of your heart prepared? Do you remember the parable that the Lord gave where he talked about the sower of the seeds and the sower went out and, and he sowed seeds and some of the seeds fell by the wayside and some of the seeds he put out fell into the rocky soil and some of the seeds he threw and it... it landed in the area where the weeds grew up and then he threw other seed and it landed in this really good soil 
And we would look at that and we'd say, okay, now what does that mean? And we'd probably have a whole lot of speculation about it. But we don't have any speculation about it because a few verses after Christ gives that parable, he explains what it means. And he tells us exactly what it means. And he says this. He says, the seed is the word of God. And some seed that is scattered. Now, keep this in mind. It's all the same seed. It's all the same message. But the message is received differently. In some cases, that message, the seed is sown. And the Bible says that the the devil comes along and he scoops up that seed before it can ever take root. So that there are those that, that attend a service. And the truth of what God has to say is plucked out of their minds before they ever get out the door. What was the service like? Oh, I don't know. It it was 45 minutes. Uh, Or the sermon was actually an hour and a half. Um, uh, And and they they don't remember anything. The, the, The whole message is gone. Then other seed was sown in rocky soil. And the Bible says it springs up and and a person hears the word and it's like, and I've seen this happen in services. It's where people get all emotionally charged up and they have these these big reactions all of a sudden. And and there's this instant growing, but because there are no roots, the system, the, the root system can't go down. It is withered. And so that decision that was made, that at the moment was so emotionally charged, yes, this is what I want to do, in a very, very short time doesn't change a thing. Everything is back to the way it was before, and nothing has changed. Then there's other seed that falls into the weeds, and it springs up, and it starts to grow. But then the Lord told us that all of the cares of life and all of the things that the world has to offer begin to choke it out. And before you know it, it just shrivels up into nothing and dies because it allows the things that are of a temporal nature to take the place of the things that are of eternal value. But then he says, and some of the seed fell in the good soil And in that good soil, it germinated. And the roots began to grow. And the plant came up. And that plant began to bear fruit. And some of it bore 30-fold. Some of it bore, I forget the next, 50-fold? Well, it was a lot. And some, 100-fold. Okay? You know what he was saying? He's saying it's not just the responsibility of the teacher to give you the truth. It's your responsibility to let that truth fall into fertile soil and let it grow. And fertile soil has to be prepared before you ever arrive. I think it starts long before you ever arrive. I think it may affect some of our Saturday night activities. It may affect some of our weekly activities. But when you get here, the mission of the church is to give you the truth and your mission is to receive it. Okay? There was one amen, wasn't there? I heard one. I heard one. Anybody else want to throw one in?
Okay, that's good. And I'll tell you why. Because the next thing we want to recognize is that there needs to be a confirmation of the truth. And you may not have known this. You might have thought this is just some Baptist thing that people do. But I want you to look at verse 16. Part of the mission of the church is to confirm the truth that is spoken. Look at verse 16. Actually, let me back up to verse 15. He says, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. In other words, there is a a correlation between that which comes from deep within us to that which comes out. Can, Can you sing songs that you don't really mean? Can you do that? Can you just kind of go through the words and not mean it? He's not talking about that. He's talking about singing from your hearts, from your spirit, the truths, letting them come out in the words that you sing. And then what happens? Then there is a confirmation of that. Notice verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, in other words, just down deep inside, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed In other words, a person who is now learning, a person who is beginning to experience more of the truth, how will he say, Amen, at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? You know what the Lord is saying here? It is very appropriate when the truth is spoken, and it is a truth that is based upon the Word of God for gentlemen for you to say amen. <laughs> now, listen, I, th- th- this is not just to kind of pump up the crowd. This isn't a pep rally, okay? I just want you to understand that. But I do want to tell you the truth. There should be a confirmation. When truth is spoken, there should be a verbal confirmation that says, that's right. Now, let me caution you. Sometimes the tendency is to say amen to things that might be correct, but they would not be appropriate for an amen. By that, here's what I mean. I can tell you the truth. People who do not accept Jesus Christ as Savior are going to hell. Don't say amen. Because amen is essentially saying, so be it. That's almost like you're giving confirmation of something that we have no authority we, we just observe what what the Lord is going to do so that probably is not a really good time to say amen do you, does this make sense to you guys okay I hope amen <laughs> that that was that was appropriate that was good but amen is where we are in agreement we say amen and somebody might say well I'm in agreement that the lost go to hell well <laughs> I have a little trouble with that because that's where I should be going to. And if it weren't for the grace of God, that's exactly where I would be going. And so I struggle confirming that because if it wasn't for God's grace, I would be there where those who don't know Christ as Savior are right now. But on the other side, when you say something that's true, Jesus Christ died for our sin, was buried and rose again so that we might have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Yes, now we have it, okay? You didn't realize that the Bible was quite this practical, did you? I mean, it gets right down to where we live. And here is what Paul is telling us. Listen, the church has a mission. The mission is to proclaim truth, and the mission is to confirm truth. 
so that we are on the same page when we're dealing with the Word of God. Pretty important for us to understand about the church because it's very, very important to the Savior. He died for it. It's His bride. It's His body. The church is the most important institution the Lord established. Now, one final thought, and this gets a little bit sticky here, okay? Don't walk out on me now. It's to bring order to our worship. We're kind of an orderly group, aren't we? <laughs> okay, are we a, a sleepy group? <laughs> Sometimes, you know what? There, there is a fine balance between order and life. Um, we should have life in us, correct? Shouldn't there be a reflection of the joy of the Lord being our strength and being able to express to one another a genuine care and concern because of the love of Christ? That, that should be there. Even as we're listening to the truth, people listen different ways. And uh, we are more accustomed to the more sedate. Our hands are folded and maybe we'll nod. And now maybe for a few times we'll say amen or hot dog or something like that. Um, and, and that'll be about it. Some churches that you go to, they're a whole lot more animated. And people will be raising their hands, and they'll be kind of swinging around and jumping and stuff like that. Well, Corinth took it well beyond that. They got into a place, into a situation, where they would be calling out, one person speaking in tongues, another person at the same time speaking in tongues, one person giving a prophecy, another person giving a prophecy, a guy's wife bumping him in the arm and saying, what, what does he mean by, and, and all this hubbub going on. And so Paul says this, I want you to understand, and I'm not saying that it's right to just have your hands folded and not right to raise your hands. It may be right. Oh, by the way, just so you know, when the Bible speaks about raising your hands, it uses the word for males. I would that males lift up holy hands before God. You never hear that today, do you? But it doesn't use the word anthropos, which means mankind. It uses the specific word for males. Just thought I'd throw that out. Now, I want you to notice, look with me, if you will, down to verse 29. And uh, you know what? Um, let me back up. Let me back up from that into verse, oh, let's start right around verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. In the time that tongues were being used, that was the order that God intended for tongues to be used. One at a time, interpreted, and if not, shut up. Verse 29. 
Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, you will hear people say something like this, I can't help it, it just comes out of me. No, if you can't help it, you have, you have not been directed by the Spirit of God because one of the fruit, one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. You can help it, or you should. And if you can't help it, it's not coming from the Lord. What he tells us is, one at a time, in order, and if a prophet is speaking and someone else receives a word from the Lord at the time prior to the writing of Scripture, let the first one be quiet sit down and let the second one get up and speak. Do you notice the orderliness with which the Lord intends services to be conducted? That's the message for us today. And he has a purpose even in that. All the speaking should be self-controlled. In addition to that, all the speaking today must be true to Scripture. If it's not true to Scripture... It's false. And all speaking today should comply with two rules. Oh, now you're going to give us some rules. Yes, I am. The rule of love and the rule of edification. Let those two rules persist. Then, and here's where the rub comes. He also wants there to be not only order in speaking, but also order in authority. And he goes on to say this. Verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in church. One of the important things whenever we are studying the Scriptures is to take Scripture in context. This is not a reference to the fact that women are not allowed to talk to each other in the church. It doesn't say anything about talking to, to other men in the church. But it does say this. When the time of the service comes, when the time of the opening of the Word of God presents itself to the body of believers who have gathered together, women are to be silent. The problem that they were facing in Corinth was if a woman had a question, she would just belt it out during the sermon. Do you ever have questions when, when I'm preaching? Do you? What's the appropriate way to handle that? Go home and ask your husband. Now, what's the problem? My husband doesn't know. Then what's the problem? He should find out. See, we don't have the luxury of doing what 21st century churches do. Come in, sit down, be comfortable, smile at each other, go home, have a big dinner. No, 
when we come, we are to come together for the purpose of learning the truth. And men, you have the primary responsibility within your home to know the Word of God so that when your wife asks a question about what the pastor was talking about this morning, you have the capability to answer that. And if you don't, feel free to pick up the phone and call and ask. But you should be the one to whom she goes. What about single women or widows? You come right to the pastor and you ask him. But do you see how the Lord puts a responsibility for truth upon all of our shoulders? It's not isolated. The Corinthian ladies would just call out and he says, no, 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 that's not the way it's supposed to be. Some churches allow women to preach. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, please, to 1 Timothy, the second chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 2, there are those who have said that this portion in 1 Corinthians is, was purely a historic aberration, that it was that which was taking place in Corinth, but when Paul finished writing, it was not intended to be an ongoing uh, principle for the church. That is not correct. It's exactly what he meant to say, and it is a timeless principle. We have it reiterated in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at, I could begin at verse, uh, I'll, I'll go to verse 11. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. What God is telling us is this. There is an administrative order to God's program. Our God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal persons of the Godhead. Is one any more God than the other? No. They all share the same nature, the same realities of who they are. They are all common. And, and they're non-distinguishable. But there are personalities within that Godhead. And here's where our heads say, I can't grab this. Well, that's okay. We're not God. We're not supposed to grab everything about God. You can't. You're going to spend all eternity learning about God, and you're still never going to know it all. But anyway, here is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What did God the Son say concerning the Holy, uh, God the Father? He said, I've come to do thy will, O God. He administratively now becomes submissive in authority. Christ said, if I don't go back, the Spirit won't come. I'm going back into heaven to send the Spirit of God who is under the authority of God the Son. So there is now this administrative authority. Then the, the, the reality of Christ being the head of the church now the church is under his authority. And within the church, there is leadership that is to provide a way, that is to be uh, this, this sort of thing you don't talk about a whole lot because people get all upset about it. But the leaders are supposed to be obeyed. Oh, no, not me. Not me. Oh, well, yeah, you. The leadership. And then the husbands. And then the wives. <laughs> And then the children. You guys are at the bottom of the food chain. <laughs> but that'll change in time. Because you're down there right now just to learn. You know what you're supposed to learn? You're supposed to learn what a good marriage is like. 
from mom and dad. Guys, you're supposed to learn how to treat a woman. Ladies, you're supposed to learn how to submit to a man. It's not what the world's telling us, is it? No. God's got a better way. You guys know that. And I'm looking at you guys, but you guys too. And you too. And we're other kids. Most of them are gone. Did you hear this, honey? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I have a very submissive wife who asks me a lot of questions. <laughs> and God has this administrative authority established. It does not imply superiority. It only reflects authority, which brings order, which results in peace. And that's how God wants the church to operate. Isn't his way the best? <laughs> yes, his way is the best. And sadly, when we don't follow that pattern, there's all kinds of trouble. Several weeks ago, when we were studying 1 Corinthians 13, I asked you a question. Wouldn't it be better, better for the body of Christ, better for the world at large, if we all demonstrated the qualities of love that were enumerated in 1 Corinthians 13? Wouldn't that be better? Yeah. How about this? How about if we took the principles of edification and strengthening the church and submitting to God's order of authority, wouldn't that be a better way to live? Okay, if you can't answer now, think about it. Think about it. This is God's way. Let's stand. Father, we are so thankful that you have given us instruction that is designed for our good, that's designed for our peace, that's designed for our well-being, that's designed for our growth, that's designed for the purpose of bringing glory to yourself. Father, it's so easy to hear your word and then not do it. I pray that that would never be the characteristic of the people of Grace Baptist Church, but that we would be a people who not only hear your word, but we do it as well. Thank you, Father, for revealing yourself and your desires through your infallible word in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.